0: If you came today for a Mother's Day message specifically, guess what? It's not going to happen. Because <laughs> you know what? Here's what I have found through the years. When I do a Mother's Day message whether, or a Father's Day message or a kid's message, it inaliates half the group, if not more, right? Dads all go, oh, it's a Mother's Day message I can check out, right? Kids are the same way. Ah, oh, You know, it's, it's all about mothers, right? So we're going to spread it out a little bit. There is something in there for mothers today, because it is Mother's Day, and we want to celebrate them as well. But there's a little bit more in there as well. A couple of years back, I also did a message on the worst mothers in the Bible. And it was was pretty bad. I used Jezebel, and I used some other characters in the Bible, and I did the worst mothers. It was the best response to a message that I ever got. But it was all negative. Because, again, when you start comparing mothers in the Bible... You know, there's not a lot of great mothers. That's who we all need. You know what? There's not a lot of great dads, though, either. Because really, the model is Jesus, and that's who we all need to be modeling after. And so I don't want mothers to leave here today feeling discouraged. I want them to leave here being encouraged, along with the fathers, along with the children, singles, wherever you are in life, I want you to leave here encouraged by God's Word. And so that's why we're going to look at a passage today today but not specifically to mothers. So if you have your Bibles, and Ike will take care of me up there, First Samuel, we're going to Old Testament today, First Samuel. Um, pastors don't always tend to preach a lot in the Old Testament. Reason being, it's a little bit easier to draw application out of the New Testament. But guess what? The problems that happened in the past in the Old Testament are still relevant today. And we can still see a lot through the Old Testament. And one of the great things that we find in the Old Testament is how faithful God is. Throughout, generation after generation, and especially with his people in Israel. Samuel's an interesting character. And again, the, the book is written about him, but it wasn't written by him. And I say it's interesting because the period of time that Samuel was in, you guys that are in the, the band of brothers should know this a little bit because it's during the time of judges. And again, it's a, a tumulus time uh, in the nation of Israel. They keep falling into sin. They've fallen after false gods. And yet they needed someone to rescue them. And so that's kind of the period of time, and things are not settled, there's no king, um, they're going through bad cycles, but that's where we pick up this story, and in amongst this, we find the beginnings of Samuel. Samuel's going to be that in-between guy that eventually is going to usher in the new king. Saul is going to be the first king of Israel, so there's going to be a transition coming, but Samuel is that, that young man that's going to come along. But he has an interesting beginning as well. So if you have your Bibles, and it'll be up there. And again, we're not going to read line by line, but we're going to work through the story a little bit. But we see Samuel's father here. And, and we see his background in the first couple of verses. We see where he's from. And we also see a, a character flaw here a little bit. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penah. And Penah had children, but Hannah had none. You know, I did a little bit of research this week, and guess what? It's never been a good thing for a man to have two wives. I didn't get an amen from any of you guys out there at all. Come on. (laughs) Think about it a minute. It's always been trouble when there's been more than one wife. There's never been a good situation. You know why? Because I really believe this, that God intended for one man and one woman to be husband and wife. It says that in Genesis. It's, it's in the Bible. And again, it never worked out well. But does God use, work through this? Does he use perfect situations always? No. So God's going to work through this despite some of the wrong thinking here and some of the, the, the wrong and two wives. But think of this. You've got a husband that has two wives. One has children. One does not. And there's going to be some conflict there. Again, the the mindset too was, if you had children, they're a blessing, right? God is blessing you by having children. Now, I've been parenting long enough to know that that's not always the case. Sometimes kids are not always a blessing, right? No, they are a blessing. But it's not a sign of, of necessarily the mom, whether she can have children or not, right? But that was the thinking back then. And so One wife is being very blessed. The other wife has none. And it says that God had closed her womb, actually. And that causes this problem. It causes this inner strife within the family. Drop down a little bit. And we see year after year, verse 3, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord God Almighty at Shiloh, where these two priests, Hophiah and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, Were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Echinod to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panera, and her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So he recognized that there's a problem there within the family. Also, we also see a little bit about the dad here, though, right? We see that the dad is being faithful. He goes year after year after year and and brings his sacrifice. Again, it wasn't to the temple at this time. It's a a tent of meeting. Actually, I'm glad Gary's here this morning because Gary and I were actually just talking yesterday at a birthday party, and and we were talking about how thankful we were that our fathers made us go to church, right? You know, they didn't always do it right, but they made us go to church, and we're thankful because it's actually brought us to that point in life now where we don't think about whether to go to church or not. I'm going to jump off here a little bit. For you that are parents now, it's okay to make your kids go to church, right? I know there's been a teaching that's kind of crept in a little while ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, that we need to give our kids a choice whether to go to church or not. Because if we make them go to church, then they may not go to church when they get older. Can I tell you, I don't find that to be true. And in fact, I'm pretty sure it's a lie. Because guess what? We make our kids go to a lot of things that they don't want to go to, right? We make them go to school. We make them go to the dentist. We make them go to the doctor, right? Because all those things are good for them. So why in the world would we not want to make them go to church to learn about God? All right? That's a freebie. That's a a freebie that just comes out of there, but it's something I really believe. We need to make our kids go to church because God wants to speak to them there and teach them about his word. And again, we have things for our kids and programs And certainly messages here, they can be learning all about God. So I feel very strongly about that in case you didn't know. But yes, children need to be in church. So Ekanon here, he goes and he sacrifices. And he knows that his wives, there's some strife that's going on. And so he tries to make it up. right, He's trying to to pamper a little bit Hannah, who doesn't have any children. So he gives her a double portion of the meat. See, so he'd go and sacrifice it, and he, he would bring it back to feed his family. And so he's trying to, to compensate for her lack of having children here. Not a bad husband, not a bad idea. So he's trying to help her out a little bit. Because again, these two are in conflict over whether to have children or not. Verse 6, And because the Lord had closed her womb, again speaking about Hannah, her rival kept provoking her, in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Echanon, her husband would say to her, downhearted, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Right? Again, he's trying to compensate for that. Again, yeah, you guys think that today we talk about bullying in schools, right? You think that's something new, right? No, it's bullying all the way back there in the Bible, right? These, Hannah's being bullied in many ways. You can imagine that this has been going on for a long time, and she's saying, hey, you can imagine some of the things that she's taunting Hannah with, right? Hey, I've given him his inheritance. Hey, I'm going to be taken care of in my old age because I've got sons and, and daughters. I want to get the most of the blessings, so Hannah's made to continually feel less than what she is. Again, so much so that it's starting to affect her worship. Right? It's affecting her worship and how she comes and worships God. She's downtrodden. She's she's weeping. Right? And again, we should certainly come to the Lord when we're in those down moments. No doubtly here this morning, there are some of you that may be struggling with things. There may be some things in your, on your heart that are burdening you. But you came that's important. But it affects your worship. And at times, it can get in the way of our worship. So we have to push past that. We have to look beyond that. I want to get to that point here in a minute, because Hannah does something with all of this at some point here. Once, it tells a story here, it says, once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And I, I want to make that point. She, in bitterness of soul, she's, she's gotten to the point where she's now embittered. She, she can't take it anymore. And in her distress, she finally cries out to the Lord. Right? She prays. She prays to God to help her in this situation. I'm not saying this is the first time that she's prayed, but certainly here we see the the depth of what she's got. She's desperate. And she knows that God is the only one that has the answer for her problem at this point. It's not her husband. It's not this other woman. Not her circumstances. She needs the Lord. And so out of that despair, she cries out to God. And she does an interesting thing here. And again, I'm not sure that I would recommend this on a general practice of, of making a deal with God. And God is not a, a Monty Hall, you know. if Some of you are old enough to remember Monty Hall, right? Let's make a deal. It's not a good idea. I mean, I've heard some of those deals and they're not always that good. God, if I win the lottery in here, but you have 50%, right? And that sounds good, but guess what? That's not what God's looking here. But Hannah makes kind of like a deal here with God or a vow which she took very seriously. Look at the vow that she makes here. And it's interesting, um, the depth of which she, she makes that vow. She says, I make a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So not only is it a vow that if, if she gets a son, but then she's saying, the vow is, I'm going to make sure that he, the, the razor on the head is a Nazarite vow, and it's a, I'm going to commit him to the Lord's service. He's not even going to be part of our family. I'm not even going to hold on to him at this point. I'm going to give him up back to the Lord in service. Today, we would say it's kind of like giving one of our kids up to ministry, right? Or to be a missionary. We talked about missions a little bit earlier. Right? When you do that, when you allow your, your kid, you're, you're releasing them, and, and they're going, and you're, you're going to have to sacrifice some in that regard. right? When our kids are missionaries or someone we know is a missionary, they're not going to be with their family. They're not going to be here on holidays like today. They wouldn't be here. It's, there's sacrifice involved. You're releasing them to whatever God wants of them and wherever he takes them. So it's a big commitment. It's a, it's a big deal that she's making here, and it's interesting It's her son who, as far as she knows, if God holds true to his word here and gives her a son, it could be her only one. Kind of interesting in a way because you would almost think it would be the opposite. She'd want to hold tight to her. But again, she's desperate. She she wants, she's being led by God at this point to make this vow. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli... Again, he's the priest. At the time, he's in charge. He observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. It says a lot here. One, we see the faithfulness of Hannah praying, right? She's continuing on. God doesn't always answer on the first time, right? Sometimes we have to pray over and over again, right? We have to keep coming back to the Lord. Sometimes I think the reason that we we pray, yes, he wants to see our faithfulness, but I think more importantly sometimes, it's a matter of timing. Uh, Timing and when God wants to answer that prayer. And obviously, the timing that he wants to answer it in his time, not ours. So that goes with that as well. But so she's praying, but again, she's, she's praying and he sees her lips moving and there's nothing coming out. And so he makes a judgment, based on outer appearance, that she's drunk. She's been drinking, and she's drunk, and she's just stumbled in, and this is what she's doing. And again, it actually says more about Eli than it does about Hannah, because Hannah's there doing what she's supposed to, but Eli, this is this this time when things are not going well in in the land, and Eli is not the priest that God wants him to be. Again, I would encourage you this week, read on a little bit because you'll see some fallings and some shortcomings in Eli, especially you that are parents, right? There's the heavy handedness and ruling as dads, and then there's the complacency and letting our kids do what they want. (coughs) If you've read this story, then maybe it's tripping a little bit of a memory of what takes place later on. But irregardless, that's a teaser for, for another message or for your reading this week. But Eli misjudges her. Again, she's doing something good and he's thinking she's doing something bad. Does that ever happen to you? Have you ever made a judgment based on outer appearance and looked at someone and made a snap judgment and been totally wrong or totally off? Yeah, yeah. It happens all the time. Doesn't mean it's right, though, right? And sometimes we need to be a little bit slower on making those judgments. Um, at least I know in my own case I need to. But Hannah Reason, who is back to him, says, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli kind of does a 180 here and he goes, Go in peace and may the Lord of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She says back to him, may your servant find favor in your eyes. When she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. There had to be something that God spoke to her that there was going to be a change. She's prayed before. She's, she's been in this pit before, but something's changed. She's gone, and she now sees that there's a difference. God is going to do something. She doesn't know exactly what yet. She doesn't know if he's going to answer it the way she wants, but there's a change in her. There's also a change in Eli and his perspective of her, and he sends her with a blessing. Think God's going to answer the prayer? I hope so, because otherwise this is going to be a short story, if not. Early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Rama. Echani lay with his with Hannah and his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. Saying, because I asked the Lord for him. See how much power there is there? And, and again, we see the, the depth of, of Hannah and that she was, God answered her prayer. She prayed and God answered. I think that's a formula somewhere in there. Is there something that we could learn from that? If we pray, God answers? Yeah. We need to consistently keep praying. And also, just a, a side note here, there's nothing more powerful, I think, than a prayer of a mother for her child. And so I would encourage you mothers, be praying for your kids. Uh, one of the things that PJ is really good about, and she reminds me as well, is, is we pray for our kids. We pray for them every day and at night. Before we go to bed, we pray for our kids. Wherever where they are, whatever they're doing, we pray for our kids. And again, my kids are in their 20s, and you can say, well, they're adults or on their own. Guess what? They still need prayer. You know, and, the, and the blessing that I have is that I have an 80-year-old mother that's back in Maine, and she's praying for me. And I appreciate that as well. And she lets me know that, that she's still praying for me because she knows I need it, probably more than, than some of you folks know. But there is something to be said about a praying mother. And so I want to encourage you that way, and, and dads too. Again, it's not one-sided. So let's look at the rest of the story, at least part of the story here this morning as we wrap this up a little early to office 21. When the man, Econite, went up with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, remember I said importantly here, right? He's faithful in in his service, but he also had made a vow and he had made a commitment, which was a commitment that was expected of all the Jewish males, was to go and to sacrifice. So he made that commitment and he kept to it and he fulfilled his vow. Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Now, as a husband, as I would look at this, if I was in, the, in his shoes, I'd think, hmm, maybe Hannah's wavering a little bit here. All right? Now, she's not going, we'd say today, she's not going to church. She's made a commitment. Now she's kind of putting it off. There's a little more time. Now, logically, it makes sense. You certainly want the, the child to be weaned because, again, she's going to be turning him over to service in the temple and he's going to be taking care from that point on and it would be someone else. But as a dad, you might question that a little bit, right? I, I would. I'd say, hey, honey, are you starting to, to falter on your commitment or your vow that you made? But Ekonon here stays with her and, and kind of gently prods her here. If you look at, at these verses closely, you can kind of see where he's, he has a little bit of, of doubt, but then he says, he's going to trust her with it. He goes, next verse in 23, it says, Do you do what seems best to you? Stay here until you've weaned him. Only make the Lord good his word. Again, that's a reminder. That's kind of a that that, that phrase is not really translated well here, but it, it really means, hey, remember what God did. He was good. He made that commitment to you, and he's blessed you. You need to make your you're about back. You need to fulfill what, what you promised to God. So it's a little bit of a reminder there to her. But she stays. She stayed home and she nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, and along with a three-year-old bull, an ephod of flour and a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, as surely as my lord, as surely as I as you live, my lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. Interestingly, she's talking to Eli, and she kind of gives him a little bit of background information. Because again, you got to remember, some times gone by, he may have forgotten, he may not even have realized, but this would have been an encouragement to him as well, right? Prayers being answered. Right, God is answering that prayer, and he's now foreseeing that fulfillment of it. Now, he may or may not have known exactly the vow that was taken and that he's going to be receiving this young, young boy or baby almost, maybe he was two or three at the most, into his service. He's going to have a, a helping hand now. But he's also going to have to raise him up and to, to mentor him and bring him along. So it's a commitment here on both sides. But she's reminding him, hey, I was that woman, really, that, I, that you misjudged but I'm back here. I'm here with my sacrifice, and I'm giving up my son to you. She says it in words. She says, I prayed for, his, for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I've asked of him. Over. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. I'm going to stop right there this morning again. As we're just trying to help you to see a little bit of, of some of the importance of prayer, commitment, and some of the vows that you take. And again, Hannah goes to the extreme here of, of putting her child in the care of someone else for the rest of his life. If you look at the rest of the story, though, God ends up blessing her beyond that. She ends up having at least five children that we know of. Some question, it may be six or seven, but at least five that is mentioned in Scripture, so we can count on those five. You don't believe me? Read on in chapter 2 and 3, and you'll kind of see that hint there of how many kids she has. But she gets more children. God blesses her beyond. He didn't have to. Certainly, the one was, was more than enough. But God also takes that offering from this mother and uses Samuel to really lead a nation from a very humble beginning. All because a mother prayed and asked. And so I want to encourage you mothers, to, as I said earlier, to pray for your kids. Dads, same thing, pray for your children. Also, I want to encourage you dads to, to be leaders in your home. Help those moms. Be there with them. I used to, used to joke about that it takes more than two parents to raise children, and it really does. And we're going to do a, a dedication this morning, one of the things that I love to do, a baby dedication. And you'll hear me encourage you as a congregation to come around this family. Because it does take all of us, and certainly all of us together can be praying. If you're a single here this morning, you can be praying for these families, could be praying for these children, pray for these mothers, pray for these fathers. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning. So bow with me, please, as we do that, and as Amy and Tony come up, and Robin. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. I thank you especially for the mothers that are here today, Lord. And Lord... Here and thankful for them. Lord, I'm also thankful for the fathers and the children that are here, and Lord, for each and every one that we've come this morning, some of us with hurts and some of us with anguish, Lord, that we can come to you and say, Lord, we need your help. Lord, I would ask that you would speak to each of us today just as we need. Lord, help us to look out after one another, Lord, that we would come, on, come around each other and that we would be that family that you've called us to be. Lord, I thank you for your word and for your encouragement. And Lord, I just ask that you would just continue to bless our time of worship with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.